So welcome to episode 66 of the Daz and Daz NBA podcast. We're here again on a Thursday night, Daz. Uh, how are you going? Have you caught any basketball uh, this week since we last spoke on Monday evening? I had the pleasure to watch some um, an exciting, um, sloppy if not exciting, Lakers-Mavs um, game tonight. That was pretty cool. And the, um, uh, of course, the Derrick Rose explosion, Derrick Rose renaissance. Well, I got home in time and, and watched that a little bit on fast forward, but yep. I watched it end then just to see how it emerged, and he exploded in the second half into a barrage of mid-range jumpers. And, it was um, amazing. I, I watched it in the moment, Daz. So, and this is what I, I said to yeah. you today. This is what I love about the NBA because I looked at today's Slater games and I thought, geez, pretty uninspiring sort of Slater games. And yeah. I took my lunch break and I thought, you know what, I'll check out this this um, uh, Utah-Minnesota game because it was close at that stage. It was, And I think it was the only game that wasn't in halftime that just started the third quarter. And... They were basically just leaving Derek Rose daring him to shoot, and he had sixteen points to the half. But he was going okay. But he didn't. He, he, he didn't. The sign wasn't there that he was going to explode the way he did. And he sort of hit one, and then he hit another, and then he hit another, and then you could see he's cooking. And then the, there's a buzz that goes around the crowd, and you know, you know, when you're watching, you're just. And this is again what I love about the NBA these random games that you can just get onto and the crowd know something special is about to happen here. Like this is, yeah. this, and it, and it really is historic in terms of Derek Rose's career because the guy is an MVP. And, you know, when you when you go back through box scores at the end of this season, this is going to be one of the top performances that we'll see, um, you know, outside of the, the ridiculous stuff that's going on in Golden State at the moment. And he just couldn't miss this. Like, and he was... And the confidence came back, and and as I said, the crowd getting behind him was just amazing. And then Donovan Mitchell, who was having a dirty night, he catches fire. So now you've got Mitchell and Rose just going back and forth, just trading haymakers in the middle of this sort of third, fourth quarter run. And as I said, in what was supposed, what what sort of looked on the face of it to be a forgettable game, you know, Jimmy Butler's rested for Minnesota. You think Utah's going to come in, take care of business pretty pretty easily here, and you get this classic matchup um, between these two teams, and, and you get an MVP caliber player winding the clock back and looking like the MVP again does. And we just have not seen even any sign of this from Derek Rose. Uh, since he he did the knee the second time in Chicago, I'd argue. Um, no, it, it was uh, absolutely stunning. It hey. was as a performance as you, as we may ever given just the the the, um, the fire that's been lit in the dumpster um, in Minnesota. Everything going on with Jimmy Butler, uh, Jimmy Butler deciding right twenty four hours before he was going to sit this one out. Right, so his <laughs> camp amping up the the petulance. Dare I say, pulling a Derrick Rose. Literally yep. going AWOL from the team, quitting on his team. Well, I should point uh, not, out too, after a pretty amazing performance from Jimmy Butler himself against the Lakers um, two nights earlier. Yeah, he eviscerated them, right? He almost single-handedly won the game. So Butler, the irony of the Rose performance in this context is the year-long dumpster fire, um, the continued sort of you know timber bullsing that we have all picked fun of at Tibbs for and just his... 
you know, stuck in stuck in yesterday's thinking. Jeff Teague is out as well. You know, you'd say he's not a he's not an all star, but Jeff Teague is an NBA player, and so the, they're very shorthanded Minnesota. And the eleven or whatever the, the eleven people who showed up at the uh, at the Target Center to probably expected to watch the Utah Jazz eviscerate them. Right, Jazz have been playing well. Right, um, yep. they've won all four all four of their road games in the Jazz and the number one number two defense in the league last year and at full strength. And yep. so you just, right, we come into this game thinking, look, Jazz are on fire, dumpster fire in Minnesota, Jimmy's out, team's out, like starting Jimmy, uh, starting Derrick Rose, good, good luck with that. And the irony is, that, as, you, as you pointed out, Derrick had 16 points at halftime on 16 shots. So decidedly, <laughs> Derrick Rose, and his true shooting percentage come into the game was 47%. League average is 55, by the way. So Derrick Rose was has, had been doing nothing but Derrick Rose things, old Derrick Rose things, right, for, for the entire season. And, yeah, had 16 points and 16 shots at halftime. Then goes, and as you just said, he was 11 for 15 in the second half and had some crazy handle moves, you know, some show-and-goes, um, some ball fakes. He had a, a beautiful spin move, juke, underhanded pass, you know, for Tolliver, a wide open three yeah, from yeah. Tolliver, that was a beautiful play, and you just—it was interesting because you know the look that um, that Andrew Wiggins has on his face all the time, like the look that you know he could be thinking about you know spider webs or the crossword puzzle that he just did the other night or Fortnite. You know that look that Wiggins always has. Well, I call it the Lovey Smith face. The Lovey Smith, yeah, <laughs> scared, disinterested, preoccupied, <laughs> unmoved unfazed by the humans around them. Derrick Rose had a, he had a bit of a spring in his step. You could see it in that third quarter, right? Even he went from, he went from 16 to 20 to 25 to 30. Like this, he's just kind of cooking. And he just had kind of this really neat game face on as well. And you're exactly right. The, just the crescendo of the crowd and the game was close the whole time, which made it even better. And uh, yeah. And then of course, just the emotion afterwards, he was literally, um, Oh, well, the emotion of... Well, he came out for the last play. I don't know if you even caught this, and he was already had the tears in the eyes. And then he pulled out... Before the final five seconds, And then he he blocked Dante Exum, who had a wide open that looked like potential game winner. And he comes out and blocks it. Well, and not just blocks the, the final attempt... That was on that the it was a frantic scramble play, mm. right? That was their third attempt. So Ingles shot one from the corner with about eight seconds left. He missed it. It got tipped out. I forgot who shot the second one. That went up. That rimmed out. And you're exactly right. This one went to um, Dante Exum, um, who not exactly a sharpshooter, but he hit one earlier in the fourth, you know, from from the break. And and you're right, wide open in the corner after this frantic you know, double offensive rebound play, and D. Rose, he, he, he might as well have had a cape on, right? He flew, right? If it looked like he had his 44-inch vertical back. He flew and, and, and blocked the shot, and, it, and then, yeah, it was such a, the most unlikely cool moment for a guy who, again, I have a lot of empathy for guys who blow their knee out, and just to know what that's like, to, to lose your body where your mind is – a thousand steps ahead of your body and just can never, ever get it back. And look, he might go back and shoot 43% true shooting for the rest of the season, but this was, this was better than any, any single game that Kobe played in Kobe's farewell season, I would say. 
That oh, was no question. Cool. I mean, it reminded me a bit of Brandon Roy when Brandon Roy did it in the playoffs uh, against Dallas and then, yeah, and then good never one. never repeated it again. And I just think it's probably going to be a bad thing for Minnesota longer term because I think Derek Rose is going to think, I can start doing this every night now. And you're going to see more of what we saw in the first half, which was really 16 shots for 16 points and that sort of inefficiency. But, you know, let, let's enjoy it for the moment that it was. And look, it yeah. could... You know, it, it could turn around Minnesota's season for, to some degree where they go, you know what, we can do it without Jimmy Butler. Let's take the, the pick-heavy package, potentially, that Houston are offering or whoever else is offering it, and let's just get this guy out of our, out of our locker room and let's see what we can do when we're all happy and all engaged and all together. And that was the great moment for me, the fact that the, every single teammate just mobbed Derek Rose at the end of that. And if I was Tom Thibodeau and, and the Minnesota now, I'd say, look, Jimmy, pack your bags. Let's move on. Let's yep. move on. You, you're not, you know, you didn't want to be there for that. You, that's not the sort of teammate you are. Um, and I think Jimmy Butler's conducted himself pretty poorly um, throughout this whole thing. And it's, it's one thing to say, I think, Daz, too, that the, the players control their own destiny and, that, and that's a great thing. And, and to some extent, that's right. But I think there's a way to do it and there's a way not to do it. And I think we've seen some guys handle their business with a bit of class, like a Paul George, let's say. Um, and then we've seen guys that just have crapped on their franchise on the way out the door, like a quarter well, and, and like Paul, Jimmy Butler. Paul George had, I don't know if that's exactly the benchmark, but I, I hear your, your broader message is that there's been a lot of culpability here between Glenn Taylor, um, Thibodeau, and Jimmy Butler here. No one has acted properly, and that's why it's a tr- proper dumpster fire. This, this isn't just your petulant, uh, the NFL equivalent happening right now. Le'Veon Bell, who a you know all-world, all-pro you know football player, um, has basically just held out the entire season, which is really, really hard to do in the NFL. But he's, you know what? He's not expecting He's holding out. And the players like, look, we fucking hate it, but he's got business. It's just business, right? Mm-hmm. Jimmy is here and he's not and has the practice where he shits on everyone and comes back and then, then plays really well and they win games with him. Then he disappears. I go, that's impossible. That's impossible. Like who is – how you can let that behavior can continue is just – this is on Thibodeau now. As of the last 24 hours, this is now on Tibbs. You take control of your team, respect the other 15 men on your roster – Handle this and either send him home a la um, Joakim Noah and work out a trade or send him home and don't work out a trade, but you have to send him home. Mm-hmm. If Thibodeau does not send him home, I would mark my words as as vacant um, and as flippant as Glenn Taylor is. He has to fire Thibodeau if he doesn't keep Jimmy Butler away is my is my very, very strong feeling. Well, not only did he stay away, does he goes and has another interview of ESPN and wants to go and talk about it. So, I mean, yeah. you know, and, and with the Paul George situation, I mean, he, he, this, he came out and basically just said, look, I'm not going to re-sign for the franchise. You've got a choice. I'll play this year and I'll play hard like I've always played, or you can see if you can get some value for me. I think that's the classy way of doing it. There's no easy way to say to a franchise, I'm leaving. Look, that's right. Look, just with George, right, he had spent six years, you know, um, seven years, and no one could question, though, the effort it, right. that he put yeah. in. I didn't think he, he didn't conduct himself all that well in that final playoff series. But no. prior to that, you couldn't you couldn't argue about the effort that he put in for that franchise. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah, Kyrie had his way. Kyrie actually tried to keep it really quiet. I kind of like that. I guess that, that approach was, you know, what, what Jimmy's trying to do here, right, is just trying to gain, use his leverage 
I was just trying to use his leverage. And ironically, him playing really, really well and winning basketball games for Minnesota actually decreases his leverage because that means Thibodeau doesn't want to trade him. If he went out and pulled the, the Toronto version of Vince Carter, you know, and shot four for 18 on purpose or, right, you know, doesn't chase after balls and basically uh, acting like an unprofessional, petulant child on the court, that's the way to get yourself run out of town, right? So ironically, his playing well has actually hurt his own interests, and now he's gone about it by abandoning his team. So the absolute worst, this is the worst possible way to handle it, is dragging your team through this. So um, I hope I hope Glenn Taylor, T- Tibbs has to send him home and keep him away. If Tibbs doesn't, Tibbs has to be fired. And I would I'd actually, yeah. I would I would fight to get, get Thibodeau's. I'd fight him on his contract for just just you know behavior on becoming of the franchise. And I'd <laughs> I'd take him to court just to take him to court because this is now it's beyond breaking point. They have a moment of joy. The team is four and four. Um, uh, of, of quite a historic night. The other beautiful part about this, Derrick Rose's career high was only 41 points, Daz. Right? Yeah. Even in his MVP season, he'd never scored more than 41 and goes and blitzes it, like blows past it, right, through the fourth quarter. And it was a close game. And he has actually, he was quite under control, right? His mid-range, the floaters attacking the rim. Well, it was everything. It was, it was threes. It was floaters. It was yeah. mid-range. It was layups. It was, it was so I mean, cool. I, I, I couldn't so believe cool. what I was watching. And, and at times, you know, because Gobert blocked him at one stage in the fourth. And I thought, okay, now we're reverting to form. And then next time they're in the court and up, he just takes Gobert on at the rim. And then the one where he faked Gobert out at the end, oh, that was – and you yeah, know yourself as someone that's, someone that's yeah. done their knee <laughs> – that's not an easy move to do, even if you are 100%. That's healthy. not an easy move to do. Now, look, so, he can't rise yeah. up, right? Which that's the most beautiful thing, right? Which is he's, he didn't touch the rim once. Well, the ball never touched the rim because he was so hot. But look, he had these really neat floating layups, right? Where he's hanging in the air and twisting himself almost like an explosive version of Kyrie Irving, right? Kyrie, who I don't even know if he can touch the rim, right? But is a, is a symphony of, of movement around the rim. So it was just, it was so fun to watch. I'm glad you tipped me off to it. And so that's the first thing I did when I got home tonight was watch that. And that was, that was pretty cool. And again, we under, we don't talk nearly enough about crowd experience. We're so obsessed with salary cap, trade value, who's the assets, uh, the Twitter war, how it's being handled, the media circus that's going on with these players, who's leaking, who's not leaking. We don't talk about the fact that this poor fan base this bloody tortured fan base who had to endure, right? Endure the Kevin Love situation, endure wasting the Kevin Garnett years, endure the death of the beloved Flip Saunders, right? Now enduring the, the, the wrath of perhaps this dragging anchor with the Andrew Wiggins contract, enduring, you know, their, their, their franchise savior cat, you know, loving to play Fortnite um, more than he loves to play basketball. Now Jimmy Butler. So this fan base has been through the ringer. Right, not quite like our fans in Cleveland, but pretty close. And so it was just it couldn't have been more perfect timing to have a symphony of movement like 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 Derek. Well and uh, as Rose I said, you, you could feel the buzz coming around the crowd around midway through the third quarter when the count started about how many points he was on. And every time he touched the ball, there's just this buzz. And as I said, what added to it for me was Mitchell sort of going at him at the other end, and Mitchell got hot yeah. for that that little period. It, and you get and you're just seeing that, and I'm just seeing, you know, that's the beauty of of 
having league pass at home and just having this game pop up and go, I'm just going to spend an hour of my time. And if you didn't get a bit that. emotional watching this game, you don't understand sport or understand basketball, right? And this is a guy we've panned, widely panned, for his disappearing act in Chicago at the end, disappearing act when he had his stint with New York, right? This is a guy who's struggled, you know, emotionally, psychologically, physically, you know, to engage with the game and, you know, to go from the wanting max contracts to barely getting minimum offers, right? This guy has been through the ultimate highs and the ultimate lows and the, the humbling moments. And so in the context of the dumpster fire, it just couldn't have been more out of the blue and such a cool moment. Um, and so, again, again, another juxtaposition for me was just the complete vacancy of meaning with Clay Thompson hitting 14 threes against the most ambivalent, the most clueless, the most apathetic, blind, dumb, deaf, mute basketball team I had seen in a long time as, as the Chicago Bulls effort, you know, in that Golden State game. So that Clay Thompson is going to get all, all the things and the NBA record and the this and the that and you know, guess what that was? That was a that was a fucking joke. That was the team running around like an all-star game. They're feeding him the ball in every single possession, you know, whilst the, the defense doesn't exist. That might as well have been father-son scrimmage, fathers versus sons, right? Hmm. You know, grown-ups versus five-year-olds. And so, you know, bleep you, vacant idiot, Twitterverse NBA morons who goes and auto-fillates Clay Thompson for what he did. The Clay Thompson was in an open gym that night. And that's the beauty of this game as well. Utah was playing you hard. Utah was at full strength. That game was going back and forth. And even though that pressure, right, you sense that, you know, Rose could have played, easily played hero ball and started chucking and started bricking and, you know, heat checking and taking crazy shots. But he he was actually so on Derrick Rose. He was every play. There was that one time actually he dribbled all the way around the perimeter. Right? Yeah, that's the right. right. Hand corner. That was when he fighted at the top of the key. Yeah. And the announcer's like, oh, no, he's just got to stop dribbling. He's got to stop dribbling. <laughs> Ends up under the bucket. Juice go barren. I think, did he make a left layup yeah, with his left, left hand? Yeah. Ah, it's just. So, I mean, this was a guy who played in the construct of the game, and he didn't let the crowd or the emotion or the moment force him, right? The impulsion with the adrenaline or, you know, getting ahead of himself and, and taking a whole bunch of ill-advised shots that weren't in the flow of the game. That's what was almost... That's why I call it a symphony. It was actually a bit of a symphony. Well, it's very, probably... very similar to the. Uh, sorry, I was going to segue to the probably the symphony that you watch, which was the Phoenix Suns exhibition. <laughs> well, should, I'll get to that in their in game today. Well, with the likes of Josh Jackson and T.J. Warren. <laughs> the last poem, mate. So anyway, it's, it's probably please. the best performance we'll see in the NBA this year, individual. I mean, if we see a better performance than that, because as you say, in a close game. You know, and maybe we'll get it from Steph or something like that in, in, in a game where Golden State are pushed and he's really got to reach into all the bag of tricks. But if you had have said to me at the start of the year, the best individual performance of the season is going to come from Derrick Rose, I would have given you whatever odds you wanted <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> on that. So we'll see if that ter- does turn things around for Minnesota. I mean, Carl Anthony Towns was really engaged today. Even Wiggins at times was actually trying on defense, believe it or not, does. And I'll, I'll tell you who I like from Minnesota is Josh Okoge, the, the rookie. He started today, and he you looks like an NBA player. Yeah. I think he already looks better than Wiggins to me, but I'm I'm so down on Wiggins at the moment. I'm, I'm maybe being a bit harsh there. But certainly in terms of what they're trying to do, I think Okoge is a really nice fit um, in there. So And it's good to see Tibbs this is, actually I'm going with the rookie. I'm glad you mentioned that. 
I'm glad you mentioned that. Akogi looked like, you know, I, I got these two teams up close the last two days. He looks like a shorter Pascal Siakam. You know, Siakam has that weird, rangy, lanky sort of game where he kind of has some speed and some athleticism, and but just lots of interesting herky-jerky stuff. That's similar to Akogi, where he's a smaller version of Pascal. He's got a little bit of a touch from outside, but just kind of, he just feels like a player that's everywhere on the court. Right, and he was a plus twelve in a three point game. So, yeah, passing the eye test there, Kogi. Mm, I liked no, what I saw good. from him. He looked good. Well, as you touched on, there's one one I didn't like what I saw today, and it's it's not often I turn a San Antonio Spurs game off, but uh, it was hurting my eyes today watching the Phoenix Suns. And um, I got a few things right in the off season, which I've sort of crowed about these first few episodes. One thing I got wrong was I thought the Phoenix Suns would be much better than they were last year. I think they actually might be worse. Um, this is this is not even an NBA franchise anymore. I, I don't even think you, they're a G League franchise. I'm not sure what what was the what was the whatever league Will Ferrell was in in semi pro. I think that's where um, the Phoenix Suns belong. This is such a terrible terrible franchise, Daz. I mean, Josh Jackson is not an NBA player. He is just not an NBA standard player. He should not be on the court. Um, Dragon Bender has tell, not played tell, one minute. What, what, what did you see? I mean, I've got some numbers for you that's going to make you, that's going to make your eyes peel back. But what? So what did you actually see today? Well, and he, you're saying the franchise. This is so you're having a commentary. That's not. This wasn't just a laying an egg of a game. What? What? What actually happened? Well, so the game, the game starts. The Spurs are just totally disinterested. Like the crowd is dead. No one's interested in the game. It's just like watching teams have a practice run right pop calls two timeouts he's pissed because he wanted it came out after the game he said he wanted to blow them out so he could get some rest into the rosen and lamarcus because they're the number one and two players in the nba for minutes played so you know pops counts minutes so he wanted to see them just blow phoenix out of the water in the first half and it was 13 all i think with about four minutes to go in the first quarter and as i said pop was pissed uh, and then, so then the Spurs were like, oh, do we really have to, let's get into second gear for a little bit. And so from that point, it was a 15 to two run to close out the first quarter. And that was the end of the game. And just the, the disinterest of Phoenix, just the lack of effort, the lack of attention to detail, the lack of execution. Like, it's not like you're seeing some of these young teams that run around. And, you know, I watch Atlanta, for example. And, and even Dallas, who played the Spurs the other day. Like, they're, they're falling down on execution, but they're not falling down on effort. They're not falling down on intensity. Whereas this team's got no intensity, no execution, no effort, no IQ, no nothing. Like, the only player that was showing anything at all was Trevor Ariza. I mean, Ariza was the only guy on the court for Phoenix that looked like an NBA player. Every other player, you just thought... <laughs> like, Tyson Chandler is the corpse of Tyson Chandler at the moment. Like, he is just that far beyond that. Jamal Crawford just comes out and starts chucking shots early in the shot clock. Doesn't play no. the defence. Jamal Crawford doesn't do He that. came on, yeah. So he came on. Um, they they were basically just rotating rookies with one or two uh, veterans. I mean, Ryan Anson played eight minutes. He's been a disaster since going there. It's, and, and as I said, Josh Jackson just runs around like a chook with his head cut off on defence. And then 
thinks he's the second coming of Steph Curry down the other end, trying to shoot step back throughs that barely graze the rim. Um, it was just, uh, words cannot describe how bad this team looks. I mean, Aiton looks the part. He's he's a physical specimen, um, but this is and and we touched on this earlier. This is just not an environment where you're going to develop talent and you're going to develop players. And as I said, Dragon Bender has not played one minute yet this season. They haven't picked up his option. Uh, he played Chris, four minutes today, Dad. He did play four he minutes today in a blowout. The okay. garbage time bucket he made. Yeah, yeah he grabbed a rebound Fantastic. as well. So yep. two yeah. and one. <laughs> Great so, uh, look, um, I was much lower on Phoenix coming into the year than you were. Did you think they'd Whether be this just... bad, though? I mean, they, they yeah. are... They are worse you know why? Because, than they were back, last go, year. Go back to strategy. Go back to strategy alignment and knowing where you are. I didn't need to see X's and O's or Koshkov to know that when this team goes and spends, shoots their, shoots their load, they spent their cap money on a one-year rental on Trevor Ariza, right, and then go and deal for $20 million a year, Brian Anderson. I go, and then on top of it, they add the Holy Trinity of going and signing Jamal Crawford, right? A couple games in the season. You know what? You know where role players thrive? On really good teams with really good systems. You know why the Milwaukee Bucks are partially 7-0? and They signed role players, Brooke Lopez, Ilya Sova, Pat Connaughton, who are all playing exactly their veteran roles asked them to do. So you know what? You're right, though. You plug Trevor Ariza and perhaps a Ryan Anderson and, a, and a Jamal Crawford into a Mike Budenhoser, Eric Spolstra, Steve Kerr, right, type of system, they're probably going to play pretty well. So that's why I knew this thing was going absolutely tits up the minute that they, that the before the season began, was a complete schizophrenia, a lack of an understanding of who they are. And this is a rubbish, it is the most rubbish argument of get veterans around you to show you how to play. That's, that's absolutely so mindlessly lazy and false. So I go, maybe if you're talking a point guard, with a point guard heavy system who needs the ball in his hands, you know, to teach Mikhail Bridges um, how to, you know, run pick and roll or teach, you know, um, the timing and angles and spacing and, and body movement and, and seducing, you know, defenders into certain spots to teach rim running Andre DeAndre, if that's what he became, maybe that's when you go and sign yourself a fill in the blank, right? A Jared Jack or, a, you know, a Jameer Nelson or a, right. These, these veterans, Trevor Ariza was signed to fill a need and to win basketball games. Fail. Ryan Anderson was signed because they thought he was a massive upgrade to their dumpster fire draft pick, Marquise Chris, and the double dumpster fire trade they made instead of being the Lakers unprotected first, the Brandon Knight trade. And I go, it speaks volumes to the complete schizophrenia, dysfunction, lack of alignment with Sarver, McDonough, and poor, poor Kokoshkov. Right, we had him in the top five hardest jobs in the league. Probably num- not number one hardest job. That still probably still sits with Freddie Hoiberg, but he was up oh, there. Oh, you're the top doing five. Scotty Brooks a disservice. <laughs> Brooks and Hoiberg, yeah, we're, we're very close. Right, Walton's, you know, the clock's ticking. And hey, we even said Jaeger. Right, I go, how are you going to win games out there in Sacramento? And they're they've won four, four or five games already. So mm. I'm with you, Daz. I, I could I could go on. I feel like Nate Duncan now. And I didn't need to. I'm sorry, you your your team played the sorry sack of bones. I'm sorry, your team wasted their first quarter trying to get the game out of control. But um, uh, the number I wanted to share with you, right? You say Josh Jackson isn't an NBA player, and I go, do you know what his PER is on the season? 
It, well, it was something like minus 17 or something. What, what, what is it's it? It's negative. It's a negative <laughs> right? Oh, sorry. That, the, I'm thinking of another stat, but yeah. The the average, you're probably thinking wind share or something. Yeah, yeah. Right? Player efficiency rating is like, it basically rewards counting stats, right? It's like how much production. It says efficiency rating, but it's a, basically a production stat. So how many, you know, rebounds and points and things can you collect? And I think the NBA average is 15, if I'm not mistaken. Like your, your average NBA player would have a PER of 15, and his is a negative, negative number to us. <laughs> but it's I like think with Josh Jackson, if, if, but if yeah. Josh Jackson goes to a different franchise, I think he's a totally different player. And I think you maybe you would have gotten something mm. out of him. I don't think he was ever going to be a superstar, but this is the problem. You go to this franchise, and now they've just had player after player after player that has not met their potential. And I'd be starting a bit, bit worried about Devin Booker too, not from the way he's playing on the court, but the fact that he can't stay on the court. He's injured again, and he's missed the last three games, and it's sort of like, well, are we ever going to get a sustained run from Devin Booker where he's actually on the court? I think Devin Booker needs to have a, a quadricep embolism. What What is the injury Kawhi had? Yeah, well, he needs an injury that he st- that has him out for seventy games. That's what I'd do if I'm <laughs> Devin and just wait wait this thing out. But he's already done that. Not... I mean, he did that last year to some extent, and he comes out this year and he was hot the first game. They won the first game, um, and then he played the second game. I don't think he's played since, um, and they've now slumped the one and six. And I mean, most of these games have been over at half time. So, uh, you know, I, I don't see what Devin Booker's going to do when he comes back. Um, he might make it a little bit closer, but he's certainly not going to be the difference between... Well, Devin Booker can flat score, right? He's, even in his four games, he's adding 28 points a game in the four games he's played. So That's right. So he, he, can he, he certainly the, helps you know, them on the offense. In the basket, but right? he's not going to yeah. help, you know, when, the, when there's no... You've got to start from a base of effort and you've got to start from a certain base of professionalism and intensity and this team just doesn't have it. So See, look, that, that I understand and I don't, I'm not going to dispute whether that occurred today, but, but don't, don't you, you see my sort of point where they're not at a talent level in alignment of, of team and cohesion. You've got a, right, the, the, their starting lineup just, just can't work. I just don't well, know I still think, said. yeah, but they've got to. They, they I, I think the thinking was, you can't just keep throwing out these young teams with no direction and no sort of leadership on the court and expect that they're going to develop and they're going to go in the right direction. Now, maybe to your point, Aruza and Anderson and, and likes of that aren't the right players to sort of sign, but I still think there's something to be said for bringing in some veteran guys. Um, into the locker room and potentially we're seeing the, but, the, the, the know, example in Sacramento. I'm going to move off the, we need to move off the dumpster fire and, and to go, you know, you know, you go get then go get yourself, Jared Dudley, go get yourself, right. Uh, Jared Jack, go, go get yourself proper professional role players who play their role, not $35 million, Ryan Anderson and Trevor Ariza, right. Where Ariza is, uh, he wants to leave before I get there. Right, they, they, we talked oh, about. Oh, he looks miserable. He'll be a he'll be he, a buyer. He has to be. He's like, he'll he's be like you know, he took the money, and that's cool, right? And he'll probably get you know stretched or or, or cut or or you know might get flipped for a I don't know protected second rounder or something you know somewhere before February. But he's not here to lay his body on the line and to to teach people. Players play. Players don't teach. 
That's what I'm saying. The only quote teaching, which is about player spacing and, and direction, either comes from an anchor on defense, right? Or is the communication and direction and, and, and basically teaching guys how to play within the defensive system, which is what, believe it or not, guys like Jared Dudley were really, really good at that bizarro year that him and um, Zaza and OJ Mayo and Ursan Ilyasova had the Bucks as the number two you know, defensive efficiency a couple of years ago, or your professional point guard, hmm. right, to run the offense and, right, get eight in the ball where he needs to get the ball, run the pick and roll with the timing, spacing, nuance, aggressiveness, and finesse that you need to have, right? So that's where I'm going. I hear you, but you don't just throw a defensive wing in and go, yeah, Trevor Ariza, by standing out in the wing in the corner, is going to help T.J. Warren with better shot selection or help right, Josh Akogi be a better version of himself, right? It's just there's no correlation. He put so much pressure on the coach to do that. And so that's why Kokoshkov, I think, had, again, one of the hardest job descriptions is a, an irrational owner who put winning expectations on this team by the nature of taking on all this salary and then giving this this bloody, ridiculous lineup and adding Jamal Crawford at, you know, at the start of the season. That's just... Yeah, I think that the thinking might have been right, but the execution was wrong and the types of players were wrong. But we'll move on. Just quickly on the final dumpster fire team yeah. that you spoke about was Chicago. They actually nearly pulled the win out today. They lost by a point uh, to Denver and uh, Paul Millsap hit a shot with 0.1 of a second left on the clock. Got a put back um, after Jokic missed the potential game winner um, from the left-hand side. So uh, a, an improved performance today from the Bulls and, and a typical Denver performance where they you know, almost threw a game away. Yeah. But they are 6-1, and one, the Denver Nuggets. So they're, they're off to a good start. Let's let's but focus... I, sorry, oh, sorry just, my, my last point was, right, What? Um, and again, sorry to hijack the, the, the agenda, but you just triggered from the other game I watched tonight. So I watched... Um, I watched three condensed versions, so I'm, I'm I'm getting the clipped version of it. But I watched obviously Wolves, Jazz, Lakers, Mavs, which was really fun, even in condensed version. The nice comeback by the Mavs at the end to make it interesting. But you know, I tuned into the other close game because you you tipped me off to when 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 two kind of rubbish teams play a really close one. Have a look. I enjoyed watching the Brooklyn Nets and Detroit Pistons. Daz, I watched that was a that, pretty yeah. that was really interesting. And watching a player like a Spencer Dinwiddie hit four threes in the fourth quarter and another one in overtime. He just he just suddenly went on fire. Blake Griffin looked really good. He looked springy. So I watched yeah, but a couple of things on that. So there was yeah. a, a shocking piece of defending on Andre Drummond on the final three. Yeah. That yeah. was just, that's low yeah. IQ defending yeah. by him. And Blake on that last shot, it was like he, he what, of the amount of times I've seen him try and take that shot at the end of the games and he never hits it. And it's like, Take the ball to the basket. If I'm Dwayne Casey and I've got a game-winning or, situation, I say to Blake, I'm fining you $50,000 if you don't take the ball to the basket. If you sh- Every time he shoots a fadeaway with a minute left in a game and doesn't make it, I'll fine him $50,000. Because I'm sick of seeing it. He had Spencer didn't when he switched on him. I know he, he got the switch he wants. Guy. And then he just said, yeah. he basically just backed him down for about a foot. And then turned and shot a, a fade away from about twenty-two feet, and I'm thinking, what? What was that? I know, face up and step into a jumper, which I thought he was doing really well. His four for eight from downtown looks really, really good mechanics. Well, he you got know, exactly good. where he wanted, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. So I think step into a jumper. Then, if you don't, 
if you're tired, right? He played a long, he played 40, 42 minutes, right? So maybe the boy's tired, right? And But you're right. It, it looked, it was a terrible, terrible shot. I would have even been, you're right, go to the wreck, do something aggressive. I don't argue with that. Second best, if you're knackered, step into one, right? Get a dribble, get your rhythm, step into one, and just rise up over six foot four. Um, what's his face? And, you know, give yourself a 50-50 shot. But that turnaround fadeaway, is a, that's a 20% shot. That, so that was a disappointing ending, but I, I will. So that was a bad execution. But again, my point was you were we were where I was going was to watch a team, you know, like a Jared Bloody Dudley played forty minutes today or thirty eight minutes, and he hit a big three. He hit a big three. He hit a huge three. He did. He didn't make many shots, but again, he's always in the right spot. He's always communicating and pointing on the floor on the defensive end. Cause that's where his value is as a communicator on the floor. And you know, Joe Harris is a role player, and you know. Uh, what's his name? Allen's a nice little player, but and it's a shame what we sort of had. Um, I was watching it, and sort of the downside of that game was it was like the opposite of you know the game horse, right? Where mm-hmm. you shoot the ball, H O R S E. You play horse, you yeah, know yeah, horses, right? Horse. Yep. yep. Today, today was reverse horse <laughs> with Reggie Jackson versus D'Angelo Russell. <laughs> it's like D'Angelo come down, miss a shot. Reggie Jackson's like, I could miss that one too. He'd go down, he'd chuck it up the same way, he'd brick it even worse. And Dan's like, uh uh, I can do it too. Watch me go to my right, my offhand, and shoot a fadeaway off my off the wrong hand and, and airball it. Reggie like, I can go left then. It was anti horse Daz. So it was an entertaining game down the stretch, but I and I liked what I saw from from you know the from the Nets in general and Spencer Didwood. I liked in general, aside from that last position, what I saw from from Griffin and Drummond, but man, Reggie Jackson's Reggie Jackson, D'Angelo Russell's D'Angelo Russell. And it was just, it was funny watching Karis LeVert just be so steady and um, Spencer Dinwiddie hit every big bucket whilst, you know, number two draft pick D'Angelo Russell couldn't get run in the fourth quarter over time because he was three for 15, right? Shooting over six from three and just is an absolute Josh Jackson of a performance if I'd seen it. So so anyway, just an entertaining basketball game. It was, yeah. They're frustrating though. The Nets, they're very inconsistent. I mean, the Knicks blew them they out are. a couple of games ago. Oh, sorry, uh, the, the previous night, I think it was. And uh, then they come out and beat Detroit. And Detroit after four and zero start, and they're four and three. Although two of those losses did come to Boston, um, who are looking a little bit better. Let's let's move away from the. I want to. There's two sort of areas I want to cover for the rest of the pod, Daz. And the, the first is the top of each conference. Not so much Golden State. I think Golden State and Denver, the two top teams in the West. Golden State, just we, we spoke about this last week. They just look engaged. They look locked in. They had a pretty comfortable win over New Orleans today. Although I did think there were some, some positive signs for New Orleans in that game because Anthony Davis wasn't 100% uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Probably shouldn't have even played, actually, uh, all, all things being said. But... They they stayed with Golden State. It was just a game played on Golden State's terms, you know, the, with the fast pace, etc. Um, and you never felt like they were in any danger of losing, but at least uh, they kept it competitive and kept it close. Which the way Golden State's going at the moment, I think that's a that's an achievement in itself for some of these teams. But I, I want to more focus on the top of the Eastern Conference, Daz, uh, and particularly to the two teams that met uh, earlier this week in Toronto and Milwaukee. Milwaukee seven and zero now. Toronto are six and one. Um, in some ways, I think Toronto are looking a little bit better, and I, and I only say that because I think 
to run our play at that optimal level, whereas I still think there's there's some unta- untapped upside for Milwaukee. Uh, and, of course, Giannis and Kawhi didn't play in that game uh, earlier in the week, but Milwaukee, a very comfortable win. And that's the beauty, Daz, I think, and you're experiencing this, when you have a system team and you have guys that know their role and can come in and execute. I'm, I thought Milwaukee would come out of the blocks quickly, and I said to you at the start of the year, I thought they'd be on 60-win pace at All-Star break. Um, I'm, even I'm surprised, though, at how quickly they've picked up this system and how well they're executing it. I mean, they, they are reminding me very much, and people are sort of talking about the 60-win Hawks, they're actually more reminding me of the 2014 Spurs. Um, just the way their offense executes, it is just like a, like a machine when it's on. And even if you take a Giannis out, it was really like there was no difference to me watching them on offense, even without Giannis out there against Toronto. But what did, what did you make of that performance? Nothing short of... Um uh, amazing in the in the history of the Bucks, right? We've never had a player like Giannis in the last few years. We've just known he's dragged a you know gigantic piano on his back, called Jason Kidd, you know. And in spite of the fact that they you know um, took Boston to seven games and still scored very efficiently just based on their talent alone, right? With basically Chris Middleton shooting laser beams from every angle of the floor against Boston last year, which he's carried through to the season. And so just to come from that system where it was just scoring baskets in spite of your lack of a system, lack of spacing, lack of coaching, lack of philosophy, lack of adaptation on the defensive end, lack of anything. Right To see this when Giannis has to miss a game, and yep, Kawhi missed it as well, but I'll be honest, I thought this was going to be a Toronto blowout. I'm like, you take away Giannis and Kawhi and you go, you've got the deepest team in the league, arguably, in the Toronto Raptors against the Bucks, Right who played Thon Maker and John Henson at the same time, literally, in mm-hmm. like an eight-minute run. You're like, okay, this this would feel like Golden State versus Chicago scrimmage, and it wasn't. The, the clinical nature with which the Bucks execute this offense, Daz, is just dizzying. So again, only a, a, probably a deep Spurs fan would appreciate, just as you said, the, the way they're executing. And I grotesquely underestimate how quick they could pick it up. All right, so I, again, as a, as a lay person, just thinking you want a brand new coaching system, a whole new different philosophy. I just thought, holy shit, that's going to be 30 games, 40 games, right? If you got some injuries and stuff, you know, it could be 40, 50. It could be a while. It right? could be the season for them getting accustomed to this philosophy, right? Which is a radically different philosophy. And it's, it's the opposite. It's like they've been freed, right? It's like they're a greyhound who's been trapped in the cage, the whole time and they're let loose to run and so it was a what well, there is ursan's 19 and 10 or pat Connaughton reigning threes or dante divincenzo stepping into you know to his bombs it was a the game was pretty close and competitive but never felt in balance and so that was a very peculiar feeling for a bucks fan to see them so in control now i'm not going to go too far it's game number seven in toronto right they were missing ananobi and um and uh and Kawhi. So, um, but from a Bucks perspective alone, very, very positive signs in the offensive end. They had a long ways to go on defense. Um, but, um, yeah, they, that, this system, again, it, it almost inherently has staying power because it's the system. Now, when they start playing defenses, which we're going to see tomorrow night, um, which are switch, switch, switch heavy, like Boston, 
that's when I think we're going to see the Bucks put under some pressure. So the Bucks have been able to just kind of pass the ball, move the ball, neither let Giannis and Bledsoe break it down, or the ball's flipping around, you know, break, Giannis finds a seam, collapses, grabs some gravity, pass, 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 and there's a wide open three, right? It's been so almost simple against every team they've played so far. I'm really super glad that Giannis has cleared concussion protocol because he'll mm-hmm. be going against Boston. So let's see how the, the switch-heavy Boston defense um, does to kind of break up this, you know, almost this easy 125 they put up every night. Well, that's the interesting thing. When, you, when you're supporting a team like this, some of the best games and the, and the, the most fun you'll have during the regular season are when the best players are out. Um, because just to see other guys, and you, you'll be looking at box scores this year and you, you'll go, hang on, Christian Wood played 20 minutes tonight and put up 15 points off the bench or whoever it might be that comes in. And that's that was also that was a staple of those old Spurs teams. You know, I say old, you know, four or five years ago now when they used to be able to just... I remember the game when Pop got fined, um, the 75 grand or whatever it was for not playing the players. What people forget about that game is the Spurs lost that game on the last shot of the game against the Heat, the defending champion Miami Heat. Uh, with Matt Bonner and Danny Green and Paddy Mills and, you know, <laughs> these sort of players that were generally just bit players. But they come in and they just execute the system. And Buds has got that, you know, he he's going to do it this year where you might see games where Giannis is like, you're not going to follow this, you'll be sitting on the bench or Chris Middleton will be on the bench for longer than you'd expect. And and other guys that are running the system are going to be out there and doing well. The The... The, the flip side, though, to the system, teams, is can you do it in the playoffs and do you have a wrinkle to that? And I think that's been the the criticism of Buds, particularly in Atlanta, where he, he didn't quite have that wrinkle when it comes to the playoffs. And that's going to be interesting the playoffs, this year because yeah. this is yeah. a team where I think we've much more top-end talent than what that Atlanta team did, did have. I think Atlanta might have been a touch deeper. I'd have to sort of look at the, that Atlanta roster a bit closer. But my memory of them is maybe they're a touch deeper. I've still got some questions on, on the depth of this uh, Milwaukee team once they get to the playoffs. But that's, and that's going to be interesting about a game like tomorrow. Is there going to be a wrinkle they have when they come against a switch-heavy team, but also against, I guess, a team that can prep for them and understand, you know, this is what we're going to be facing in terms of this system in the playoffs. It's, it's, it's a little bit harder to pull it off consistently over seven games against the, the same opponent. My, my thinking is that you know, the, tomorrow will be about more, can, I think, because Boston struggled on the offensive end, so that's the other, other just isolating the game. Will be can Boston put enough enough points if Bucks if the Bucks do get up another forty three pointers, which Boston's very very good at limiting. They're very good at forcing you into the mid range, almost into different shots. So it'll be interesting kind of ebb and flow. But will will Boston be able to keep up? Because their offense has not looked pretty so far this season. It's very safe to say that poor Gordon Hayward is he's not even half of what he used to be. He's got no lift. He's playing 20 minutes, and those are 20. It's hard to say. He's 20 very negative minutes on mm-hmm. the floor, right? It's it's hard to watch because I, you, you do wonder does actually playing, can you actually play into shape? Can you play your way into explosiveness? And that's my, that's my worry with him. Is he, you know, could he be going down a you know a, a Baron Davis type path, or you just you just never get the, you know, the hops back, or uh, you know, took Rudy Yeh, right? R- r- different injury. Rudy had a micro fracture, I think, but it's taken him right years to get back to where he's kind of 
you know, changed his game. That's my fear for Gordon Hayward. He's a, he's a thicker guy. Right. And um, anyway, hmm. not to spend too much well, time. Well, Kyrie's actually looked Boston... better in the last couple of games. So that's, that's the one point yeah, I think for, for the Boston Celtics. Yeah, he's so fucking fun. I, it's impossible to hate him. I love it. A short guy could handle the ball like that. It's just too fun to watch. So, um, but, uh, well, Toronto's of course the other team uh, at the top of the Eastern Conference at the moment, and they are already really in playoff mode. The way that the, the intensity that they're playing well, um, yeah. every game, I mean, and, and most games haven't been close um, at this point. So, I'm, I'm going to be interested to see how they go in a close game. I, re- I like. I just like the way they're going at the moment. I think that Kawhi's obviously he he's hit his straps. He called thirty-one again um, in their last game, so they're a team to watch. I think they've got a good matchup coming up too. I've got the schedule in front Phoenix. of Phoenix. <laughs> <laughs> no joke, they're out in Phoenix. I'm do- I think it's on the weekend. Next they've day. Got a better yeah, game. It's next day. Yeah, that that'll be. But they just one. eviscerated your point as Toronto's so the next night after they lost the Bucks. They had a back-to-back. Oh, that was Philly. Home. Yeah, that was men against and boys. And just in, eviscerated the 76ers in the second half where, yeah, talk about you talk about the top of the East, we won't be talking about Philadelphia this year and something oh, less something well, radical. Well, I don't know. That. I mean, Philly, the, the losses Philly have had are Milwaukee, um, Toronto and Boston. So I think they're, they're a notch below those teams, but I think they're probably still going to finish above everyone else. And I still think they're going to be a top forward seed in the East simply because the East isn't that, that strong. But I don't think they're on the level of the other three teams that we're going to be That's why I'm saying the, the top for me is the top. The There's top definitely three. a top they're, tier, then a drop They're off. very clear. It's Indiana-Philly is in their own new tier, and if somehow Detroit um, stays healthy, they might stick around. But I think Charlotte's going to be up there still, Daz, in terms of that four, five, six range. You reckon? Yeah, oh, they're right. playing all right. Tony Parker had 24 points. You know they traded away Dwight Howard, Daz. They don't have him anymore. <laughs> so you're going to have to temper your enthusiasm. <laughs> I'll tell you just quickly, last point in the East, Sabonis is playing some brilliant basketball at um, at Indiana. So next time if you see Indiana on um, on uh, on the game pass, just watch. Uh, try and catch a bit of Sabonis when he comes off the bench. I think he's, he's a early runner for six-man of the year. The way he's playing, coming off the bench, he's been outstanding um, so far. He had 12 points in the first seven minutes today off the bench against the Knicks. Uh, all bird against the Knicks, but he's been doing it against everyone. He came on and killed the Spurs as well uh, last week, which is sort of was, was what caught my eye. So there's look, they're, they're competent in the end. I think they're going to be pushing for that four-five seed. And I they're think... just weird. They're just they're they're so bizarrely volatile. I do like Sabonis. But Daz, he can't play more than about 24 minutes a game. He's just not either defensive enough or not fit enough, or I'm not sure what, but it's, I don't know why he can't play. Why he can't play big minutes. It's just peculiar, but they're just such a bizarrely inconsistent team. You know, they get destroyed by the Bucks and they get bombed by the Timberwolves and go out and smoke the Spurs, and then they lose at home in a complete dud to Portland in a, just a wrestling Arm wrestling match. Well, Caleb Swanigan and, actually you know, killed just... him in that one. <laughs> That's no joke. Case Don't check point. out the box. I know, that, that words, those words will never be uttered again. It was weird. Like, it was a weird game. I was just like, like is this Josh seriously Jackson happening? Josh Jackson goes 10 for 10 from the free throw line. Words you'll never hear. Well, the funny thing, yeah. they, they have games where they can't get a rebound, then they'll have a game where they can't get a shot, and it's just little things seem to let them down, and then the next game they put it all together well, and they think, a... well, they're back again. Yeah, those aren't symptoms. That's a talent. They're just a talent gap, right? So I go, I didn't, 
I don't know where this love was coming from Indiana. I go from I just I don't just don't see it. It's just a talent gap. I think right? they're, they're go, in that tier below, but I still think they're going to be a dangerous playoff team. And I think if a team like Philly sleeps on Indiana, they're going to have their pants pulled down. Um, I, I think Indiana could get the second round of the playoffs in the East. Okay, we'll see. We'll see. But uh, um, I think just... So yeah, they're they just bizarrely inconsistent. I think they have a talent gap. But there are warning signs all over for this 2018-19 76ers team. There's, there's flags everywhere with Fultz, with Simmons, with Fultz and Simmons together, with Sharich, who's not the same. You know, JJ's still doing JJ things, and Bede looks exactly the same, which is, you know, maybe a little bit off on defense. Um, you know, I don't know if that's solely his fault or he just doesn't have the defenders around him this year, but he's still chucking threes when he probably shouldn't be. Um, but anyway... It, Let's flags. see. Let, let's flags see. In Philly. I think flags there's some Philly. flags. I'll tell you what would make Brett Grant cry if he's watching the Sacramento Kings at the moment because uh, Bielitsa has been a really important player for what they've he done. Has. And what a perfect player he would have been in Philly, Daz, um, this season. That That is a, that's what that's a killer a bit, blow. Yeah. That, that stretch four, and this guy might be one of the best stretch fours in the league um, at the moment. He's Careful. been just unbelievable. Um at the moment, at the moment, um, so they're five and three at the moment. The Kings, as they play Atlanta Hawks tomorrow, you imagine they're going to win that. They had to put them the six and three. I, I did not see this team starting like this. They, they are, and and, and they're not doing anything. You sort of look at and think, well, that's completely unsustainable. Look, I don't think they're going to continue on this sort of win pace, but I think they're going to be a competent team for the rest of the year. And some of the young guys, unlike at the Phoenix Suns. These young guys are showing some signs of developing into some nice players. Have you caught any of the Sacramento Kings yet? I have. I, I watched them. Um, oh, who did they play? Was it Miami? Well, they beat. Yeah, they well, they played, played uh, Orlando. They beat Miami. I saw well. them against Miami. Yeah, yeah, I saw the Miami game, and and that's where I saw like, huh, Buddy Heald is developing into more than a Jamal Crawford type of game. Where I think the worry for me with Buddy was that. He's a bit of a sharpshooter, but is he just so one-dimensional that he's a he's a catch and shoot or in transition pull up three like a kind of a short Jamal Crawford, which there's a role for that, and you can earn millions of dollars doing that for a long time if you stay up in that you know 38 to 40 percent range and just become instant offense. But I like that Buddy's becoming a little more integrated in the offense, a little bit of a little bit of secondary playmaking. So that for me was probably the most positive sign was just seeing Buddy take some strides. And Fox is obviously just making better decisions. He's, he's electric, right? His athleticism is, has never been in question. And he, he seems to be kind of passing up, uh, sort of passing the Nilakina and uh, Dennis Smith, right? Some of the guys from that, that previous draft in terms of his development. So, yeah, nice things in, in Sacramento and, and bizarre that they suddenly have the Maybe drafting all these bigs and having eight centers on their roster is is paying dividends. It seems like they kind of found, again, unlike what the dumpster fire in Phoenix has done, is they found themselves a nice, uh, nice, sensible starting lineup. 
Or well, they've got guys their rotation set. That's right. They've got um, so you've got Crawley signed, Billy Leeds, uh, uh, Justin Jackson, who's he's he looks like an NBA player to me. I don't think he's ever going to be an All Star or anything, but he's a good solid rotation guy. Um, Darren Fox and Buddy Heald, like that's that's a nice five. And as you to your point, it makes sense. Yeah, that's right. It just it just does. So and they play fast. They're one of the fastest could... teams in the league. They play fast, um, yeah, and just the pieces fit. Like oh, that's a that's a nice veteran signing, right? The the Vlad father, Vlad Divac, stealing away Bielitsa, who after he made a, you know, had the had the agreement in place, a verbal agreement anyway, with Philadelphia. But a nice stretchy four who can do a little bit of rebounding, a little bit of passing. Willie Cauley Stein, who seems to have put it all together this year so far, as you said, um, and Fox and Heald, and even 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 Amon Shumpert. Right, is playing, you know, competent. Let's not go crazy. He had one crazy game, didn't he, where he single-handedly beat OKC. But he's playing NBA basketball. Let's just say, right? He's he's not embarrassing himself when he, you know, he gets a run. So, um, yeah. So good on you, Sacramento. This could be just what happened in. Orlando last year, remember Orlando won seven of ten. Yeah, but the, the, that's why I brought up this, the sustainability because that was around. So Aaron Gordon was shooting seventy percent from three or something ridiculous. Stat. There's nothing they're doing that you look at and say they can't keep this up. Um, well, Bealitz is shooting fifty five percent from down. Well, he, but he so was the know, top. But, but he was the top three point shoot, shooting percentage last year, Daz. So I don't think he's going to shoot fifty five percent, but he's not going to be that far below it. I love Willie when, Colley. Willie Collie's shooting a three, Daz. He yeah, shoots threes. That. Bagley looks good. Bagley passes the eye test um, without a question. He's still a little bit loose on, on both ends of the court, but you expect that from a rookie. Um, it's the pace that catches my <laughs> eye. Fox is so Sorry. quick. <laughs> What's that? You might need to edit that out or just what? keep the laughter. Willie Collingstein hasn't attempted a three. I was looking at his free throw column. <laughs> oh, I didn't know. I just... I, I was going to say I hadn't. I well, don't remember like, him shooting out there, but I'm like, oh, because I was like, he's scoring almost you know 18 points a game, 19 points, and I'm like, he must be hitting threes. I just quickly glanced. Oh, he's one for two, one for two. Oh, cool, he's hitting his threes, right? <laughs> Those fucking free throws. So no, anyway, leave it in there. Threes. We like how Willie is playing, under control, attacking the basket. You know, um, doing doing Willie things, and yeah, they've they've smoked some teams out. So good on them. <laughs> They're doing well, so it's a, it's a positive start. And as I said, I think they can they can maintain this level of play. Um, let's see if, if that's going to um, translate to this many wins um, and, and keeping on wins. We'll, we'll keep an eye on the Kings. We'll, let's, we'll call that, sorry, just let, oh, my little label, this is the feast on the east, right? <laughs> They've gone and beaten Washington, Miami, and Orlando here. Back to back to back, so that's what happens. Well, the West Even isn't as strong though, Daz, as you might have thought. I mean, there's a number of no, struggling teams in the West, and I mean, if yeah, you got to like the fact that the Clippers. If you're the Clippers, you've played Houston twice already. Now, Houston aren't going to stay this bad, but they've beaten Houston twice, and we we talked about this at the outset when we were previewing the season. You know, the way the schedule falls is going to be so critical. And for a team like the Clippers, who's going to be chasing that sort of eight seed, to get a couple of cheap wins over a team like Houston early, that's like gold, um, you know, when everything's yeah. said and done at the end of the year. So um, the, I wanted to sort of look at the West now and, and really look at the num- that, that, that race for the two seed, because I think we can pencil Golden State in the way they're going for the one seed. Who, if I asked you right now, 
given the fact that we can almost rule Houston out the way they're going and starting one and six. Are they one and six or one and five? I think they're one, one and five. One and five. Yeah. They're one and five at the moment. So we can almost put them to one side. Who's your favourite at the moment for the for the two seed, would you say, in the Western Conference, if we, if we take Houston out of the equation? God. Um, I just, I, I'm supposed to say Nuggets, but I can't. I just don't believe in them yet. Again, I need another 20 games. Well, they should have lost ha- today to Chicago. That yeah, was, they should have lost today. That, that was, was old-fashioned Denver today. That was old-fashioned Denver. And I, again, I want a discount. I had Portland dropping off the map, right? And they've, you know, they've won a few games here now. And, and they're, they're nameless players on their, what we thought were going to be a horrific bench or seem to be playing okay. Um, look, they haven't had a murderer's row of games. You know, actually, they have, well, they've been pretty well. Oh, Lakers, beating the Lakers, Spurs, Spurs beating the Lakers, beating Houston. Pacers and Rockets, those are all pretty good victories. And a bunch of those on the road, actually. So I'm supposed to, you know, Jesus, Daz. <laughs> I San Antonio doesn't have DeJounte, right? Forget San Antonio. Uh, I'll tell you right now. Forget San Antonio. No, I know. They're giving up 113 points a game, Daz. They're one of the... Bottom ten defense. They've had, a, the they've had a power of the puff schedule as well, so don't. don't Look again. I'm got, I've got recency bias going. That's why I, was, I wanted to say Utah, because if they they were supposed to smoke Minnesota, and I have an easy answer to that question. But well, I think if Look, Mitchell guess, doesn't get injured today, I think despite Derek Rose's heroics, I think they probably win that game. Yeah, I hope that's not too bad. Looks no, I don't think it pretty, is. I don't think that is just quickly on on Mitchell. That's, that was wasn't a, a serious yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to – I can't do it. I can't, I can't break the tie where I go – based on what I saw when they were at full strength, I want to say that race actually could come down to Utah and New Orleans of all teams. I think mm-hmm. that pairing – I heard some ridiculous stat about when um, Nico and Anthony Davis are on the court together. They're a plus net – a net. Net 37, Daz. Mm-hmm. 137. 1.37 points per possession on offense and 1.01 or something on defense is a ridiculous number. Like by comparison, right? Stephen, Stephen Clay and Stephen Durant are like 21, just to give you order of magnitude. Mm. We're in small sample size theater here, but they've looked so good when playing on full health. The three of those guys, Holiday, this, the stat wasn't with Holiday. It was just the two, the, the two bigs, but... I liked what I saw from the Pels. Obviously, they've struggled here the last two without Anthony Davis. You know, uh, he sat out and then, you know played basically on one leg today. But um, yeah, you shouldn't yeah, have been there today. I'm, I'm not believing in Denver one. yet. I need to see Denver play some defense yet, and I I love what that offense is capable of, and I I want to see a healthy Millsap, and I want to I want to see them do something smart. So I'm going to say Utah, New Orleans is a, my cop out. Yeah, I'm going to say New Orleans, believe it or not. I, I Are you? really like right. what they're doing at the moment, it, it, assuming health with uh, AD, of course. Uh, he And as I said, he wasn't 100% today, probably shouldn't have played. Um, but, uh, you know, I just like the fact that their offense continued to tick over, even though they got Tim Fraser was their starting point guard today. As a guy cut from the Bucks, wasn't he? Um, at the start yeah. of the season, so he at least knows the the the, the system there. Um, Alfred Payton to come back in, uh, he'll probably miss another game, I think, with that sprained ankle uh, that he had as well. But with Miritich, Randall, 
There's going to be certain teams Randall just shouldn't play against. Golden State's one of those teams. He was a disaster today, but he's generally been very good. Um, Drew Holiday, I'll tell you, there's a player that gives the Warriors problems that's Drew Holiday on, on is, defense yeah. and offense. For whatever reason, he just plays he plays his ass off against them. And each one more was good today as well. So there was, as I said, more positive signs, even though they lost the game today for me, um, for them, because obviously the Warriors are the benchmark in the Western Conference. And I just... I've seen Utah a few times. I think Mitchell's not playing as well, and I just I don't think anyone else has stepped up enough from what I've seen so far offensively for them. Uh, Gobert's probably having his best season so far offensively, but that's not a, a great compliment given where his game was at there. I, I, I would have preferred to just see Alec Burke or Don Hexham or someone sorry, just, step just, up offensively. Yeah, that's where I was going. That what's just on the Gilbert thing, he's leading the league by a lot in dunks. So the pick and roll, as I saw that firsthand against Minnesota today, he just flies through the air and dunks the ball. I think he had five dunks out of his 17 or 18 points. And so his numbers are ticking up, but it's not like he's diversifying his game. Is it just got better? It's not a criticism. That just seems to be... Well, it just comes down strength, to because uh, the way Mitchell plays, Mitchell brings the shot blocker out and he's just throwing up. At times, it's Mitchell... Just, they're basically passes. They, they go down the stat book of shots, but he's basically just throwing anything up at the rim and knowing Gobert's going to be there and Gobert will just go bang, put it back in for a dunk. So that's where the penetration from Mitchell, even though Mitchell's not shooting the ball well, I don't think that tells the full story about how effective he is and how important he is um, for that for that Utah offence. But I would have liked to have seen their offence a little bit more effective um, and a little bit more efficient um, to start the season. So I'm a little bit further down on Utah. I think I like what Portland do. I like Portland look all right to me. It wouldn't surprise me if they're, they're them New Orleans and, and Denver are the team sort of fighting out um, for that for that spot. And I think OKC have seemed to have ride the ship as well. They had a, a decent win against the Clippers um, as well yesterday. So where they scored 39-10, to 10, I think the score was, in the third quarter of that game. So um, they're starting to get it going as well after a rough start for them. So the big story, obviously, is Houston. I don't, I don't think Houston are going to ride the ship enough to be pushing for that too, so it does. I don't either. Particularly There's given enough. how much start they were given to Denver. Yep. So that that's the worry there. So I think yeah, it, it's wide open for that two seed um, in the in the Western Conference. I think that's that's the the, the race that I think everyone's going to be watching um, in the next sort of few weeks. And it's these early games are so critical, and that's why it is important. The Spurs have started five and two, even though it's been an easy schedule. You've got to get away to a start, and just keep an eye on the Los Angeles Lakers too, Daz, because um, they're sort of falling off the pace a little bit as well. And you wouldn't want to fall too far under five hundred, um, and, and give yourself Le- too much work to yeah. do. Le- LeBron will he'll ship you to Orlando. You know, careful, <laughs> he'll ship you to Cleveland. Did you see what he said after? Um, Oh, after the loss to who'd they lose to? Um, oh, they lo- they lost when they lost to Minnesota, and they said that you're losing patience yet. And he has um, you don't want to <laughs> see you don't want to be here if I lose my patience. <laughs> and you could just but you could see, and you could see it in that game because Kuzma. Oh, there's not oh, there's yes. very few players I dislike in terms of their games more than this guy. I think he's, he's a, just, just a terrible basketballer. One-dimensional Just one-dimensional guy, yeah. right? Um, yeah. 
and you could just see LeBron, the, the steam starting to just build and just sort of a little bit eke out of his ears at some of the plays that Kuzma made um, in that game. And you're just like, okay, LeBron's getting to the end of his tether with some of these guys. So it's going to be interesting to see <laughs> how the, the rotation shakes out. And I think Luke Walton's seat's getting hotter and hotter. I mean, they were, they were very lucky to pull that game out today. Yeah, we'll uh, LeBron nearly missed another two at the end there, the three-throw line as well. So, which would have um, would have been interesting uh, from a storyline perspective as well. So, LeBron's still putting up numbers, but I think he's he's still waiting to see who who are the teammates going to be that take him forward. And I think the limitations that we thought this roster would have 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 shown themselves. I was interested that Josh Hart only played sixteen minutes today. I thought he he's been the guy that has impressed me so far. So, I was I was interested to see his minutes were down today. So. Still some rotation issues, I think, there in, in L.A., but I'll tell you, they, they want to get it right because, again, if you give too big a start um, to teams in the Western Conference, uh, it doesn't matter if, you know, whether you got LeBron or not. It, it's going to be harder to catch it, it up. He's not in the East just anymore. feels like a pump and dump. I just go, LeBron's not, he's not building this team around Kyle Kuzma. I go, that feels like the pump and dump to me. I'll be honest with you, Daz. I'm going to go get his numbers up and then, then flip him to a you know asset desperate team like again I don't know pick your pick oh your I spot, agree if you, know, you Indiana or, high, or but I Washington think or well well that's what we said something. this is an audition year isn't yeah. it it's it's like seeing this is, who, yeah. who's yeah. going to fit in who's who's the players that are going to be able to play with LeBron um, I'm 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 like, even more cynical than than an audition I'm saying I'm what you're saying this is pump and dump this is LeBron going you know here's the guy I like the least Kuzma. Let's give him the ball the most, get his stats up, pump his numbers up. So not only will he become an asset, we'll get something back that's really useful to us that can get us one step closer to a, you know, to a, you know, a second third superstar. So I, you're right. It's audition year. I think that might be the nice way to say it, but I, I, uh, I'm with you hundred percent on Kuz. It's just, he's so, he's so embarrassed. He's Jabari Parker bad on defense. Daz. He's just, he almost unplayable on that end. So, the, the patience with LeBron will be, boy, it's fun running that direction, but it's really not fun running back that direction. It's really fun going forward. Fucking miserable going back behind. Behind me is just a torture every time they go back on defense. But um, he's gotten used to that the last couple of years himself. Well, LeBron's fair, playing so. much better on defense this year than he was last year, but that's not a... So fun to watch, yeah. That's entertaining. That, that game today was, uh, I mean, pretty sloppy, I'll say, in chunks. Well, every game they've played has been entertaining. They've been the most entertaining. And entertaining. In the They're up and down, and whether it's Lance doing stuff or weird JaVale going off or... But the only Josh game Hart that hasn't been entertaining has been Phoenix because they're just they're, they're, because of the dumpster fire that they are. Yeah, but every other game's been turds. close. Yeah. Every other game's been close and, and come down to the wire. So it's, yeah. it's certainly been entertaining. Yeah. But LeBron must be just thinking, can I get an easy win? Can I get a couple of easy wins? He didn't get any easy wins That's last right. year in Cleveland. He's not getting any this year. Like, can we get some decent teammates around him again? Honestly. Honestly. Well, they've been fun. They've delivered the, on the fun quotient. Um, they have. And show, Showtime is bad. So, um, and to be fair, there's not really been, you know, there's been no drama yet, right? So there's, there's characters, but no, but no drama. Certainly not in the way... We see drama, and uh, we haven't even talked about Washington. We're going to have to save that for the next episode. Although they're going to go out on an East Coast road trip here and win three or four 
Well, we did know, talk about him on Monday night. Yeah. We did talk about yeah. him on Monday night. I don't think, yeah. that, and not much has changed since then other than no, they lost the game. Definitely so. lost another game. Let's wait but, and see uh, on that one. I just um, wanted to throw, before we sign off, one last, I was just doing a little bit of research here. Um, back on our original dumpster fire tonight, which is the Phoenix Suns, and, and thinking about the fact that Marquise Chris didn't get his option picked up by the Houston Rockets and just how awful that trade was. So do you remember the full trade I'm looking at? Do you remember the full trade for the for the Suns moving up to get Marquise Chris, right? It was a number 13 pick to get up to number eight. And it's irrelevant the fact that Sacramento picked, you know, Papa Giannis at the number 13 pick. But Phoenix also gave up the number 28 pick, which Sacramento turned into, do you remember who? You know, not, a, not a big name, but um, Scalos Lubissier. Oh, yeah. Who's okay. still, he's got some, maybe he's still really young and he's got some potential. So they gave up number 13, number 28, which they turned into Scal. Um, and another asset, which was someone they picked the year before. Do you remember the asset that they also gave out? That we've we've completely forgot about. Is he still on prob- the Kings? Or he's still on the Kings. Oh, it wasn't Corley. Corley Stone wasn't on the Kings then. No. Um, oh, I don't know. Bogdan Bogdanovich. Yes. Oh, Bogger right. had been taken at number twenty-seven. Well, so he hasn't played prior. yet this year. That's why I forgot. He hasn't. Him. He's been hurt. That's right. So it's a bit tricky. But he had a really fine really fine season last year. And I just got to thinking, huh, when I, I, I knew there was another asset, I had to look it up and I go, I didn't remember. I didn't remember it was Bogger either, but a really nice season last year. And yeah, he's been targeting November the 7th to come back. So another well, week that's before another Bogger. Positive sign for, for that's exactly where I was going. So that. I go, yeah. That's another trade Sacramento one does, right? So I kind of go, they've got role reversal going on here, Phoenix and Sacramento. So, um, Anyway, I'd, and I'd forgotten that Bogger would be a really nice piece to add into another shooting, another shooter for the Kings. So, mm. um, more to, more good news for their stocks going up, and it's um, Phoenix stock going down. It's almost well. Like that might the, be one of the worst drafts ever. I mean, to pick Bender and Chris pretty much back to back, and have them both out of the league in basically the minimum amount. Oh, of time. it was a terrible draft, right? Well, maybe Jalen Brown can be a Simmons, I think, will he'll reach all-star status. Probably not this year, but, you know, it's probably a year or two away. Ingram still shows flashes, but he hasn't. Again, there's only three games in for him this this season. We'll see what he can do. Jalen Brown, you know, he's got probably the most rounded game. And then Jamal Murray, is he the third best player? God, that's depressing. Mm. But, um. Anyway, yeah, no, it, was, it, was, it certainly wasn't the strongest draft, was it? I remember going back. No. Because I remember the Papa John's pick, and I was going to go, well, who else could they have taken there? And you should have just go down, and you're like, DeJounte Murray, maybe? I mean, where, where does it sort of go? You know? Malcolm Brogdon was the freaking rookie of the year, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was just one of those years. Yeah. All right, Des, we'll leave it there, mate. I'm going away next week, so we probably won't um, we probably won't speak for another week in a bit, but uh, a couple of ga- good games to look out for this weekend. I'm actually glad I'm going to be away because New Orleans are going into San Antonio and I don't think that's going to be pretty uh, for the Spurs somehow um, when uh, they they roll out um, 
they roll out Pau Gasol, who thinks he's playing wheelchair basketball, I think, these days. Yeah. I, I was ex- half expecting to see Pau out here for the Invictus Games. He could have just <laughs> stayed in his wheelchair and gone oh, out dear. on the court. Oh, dear, dear. Is he a war veteran? Well, the Spurs aren't playing... Um, the Spurs aren't playing Pertle at all. He's he's not in the rotation. No, Powell, they they no. still work, walk Powell out every game. It's just like I'm not quite sure why why they're doing that at the moment. He's still a, the IQ of Powell was was better than the combined IQ of the entire Phoenix Suns today. So Jesus, he, he was you know, still getting I, easy buckets today. Honest to God, honest to God, yes. Oh my well, God. what I'm looking for is so obviously Bucks at Boston tomorrow. That's a big one. That's the big one. Um, yeah. Another really interesting game. The other, the two games on TNT: Bucks, Boston, and then um, New Orleans at Portland should be pretty entertaining. If if AD is back to you know close to 100% as two big games on the docket, and then we've got the uh, um, the soap opera the next night: Oklahoma City at Washington. Daz, so one of those teams is going to compile another <laughs> loss, and you know. Take a step closer to uh, to misery, and yeah, we got to watch out for the choo choo, chuck it, chuck it, chuck it, chuck it. Who's gonna get there? Maybe the Rockets lose that Brooklyn, chuck it, chuck it, choo choo. What happens? Minnesota goes to Golden State, Daz. They're gonna something crazy will happen. I'll there. make so a prediction do... right now. If James Harden's not back, the Rockets aren't beating Brooklyn. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's well, am I wrong? Paul, Chris Paul might be the grumpiest old man <laughs> in games that aren't going well. He's just his body language, his 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 verbal language, his eye rolls. Uh, just the it is it is joy. It is just bliss. And Mike D'Antoni complaining about the defense that is brilliant. That's great. I love it. <laughs> well, it wasn't so, their yeah. defense the problem the other day. It's got eighty five points. So it's, yeah. they're, they're falling. They're falling <laughs> away everywhere. Does I know that was a bad box score. That was one of the ugliest box scores I've seen since, since Spurs Cleveland in two thousand and seven. Yeah. Well, then Chugga Chugga Chicago Choo Choo has back to back. You know, they play Indiana at home, so you know maybe Vic will go crazy, and then they back it up the next night against Houston. So you got Rockets <laughs> at Bulls, Daz, two one win clubs going at it on Saturday night. So. um that's that's on the same night as your Pels play the the Spurs. And then if Utah Houston lose to, to the Bulls, could they just sack D'Antoni? Would could that be do, justified? Right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know what I would do just as a, you know, like you know, you just have to go home and you know scream into a pillow or you know go, you know go go break the television or something. They just cut Carmelo the next day. Just mercy kill. <laughs> You got to take it out on somebody. Well, we said Carmelo was going to be a negative on the court. He's a negative yeah. asset. There are players that are just that bad. They're negative assets. He's one. No, he's fine. He's just a minimum salary. He's good. Yeah, no, that's right. great. I'd rather pay. I'd rather pay ten million not to be there. <laughs> Him and Delhi have the same vorp this year. But anyway, <laughs> Delhi. When Delhi plays this year, I'm telling you, Delhi's going to be okay because he'll be in that system and he'll he'll fit in fine. He is, and he's and he's back to third string, right? Which is, you know, he plays the, you know, he plays garbage time and or, you know, when they're beating, you know, Orlando by twenty eight in the third quarter, he comes in and, you know, keeps the keeps the wheels turning. So, yeah, uh, yeah he's like a bad McConnell. Yeah, he's all right. Well, let's make a point too of Daz of checking in on the NBL as well uh, for our next pod. We'll see how some of the um, the imports are going there as well as um, some of the Australian teams. 
uh, how that's playing out because I must admit I've been a bit slack and haven't had time to, to check out the NBL uh, just yet after after watching a few games in the first week. So we'll make yeah, a point we gotta, we of check in on that as well. All right, mate. Good All to right. talk to you again. We'll, uh, we'll Enjoy catch the up holiday, in, um, Yeah, we'll catch up in just over a week. See you, buddy. Thanks, mate. Bye.